The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, we want to welcome you today to the Grove Church. I'm so excited that you're here today. We start a brand new series today called How to Neighbor. And I think it's going to be an awesome series for us to rethink where we live and where God has placed us in proximity to others. But man, I want to celebrate just a couple things. First of all, you saw that baptism video, but last Sunday at the Aquatic Center here in Snohomish, we baptized 12 people here at, through our church, which is awesome. Yes, love it. And at Marysville, they baptized a ton, which is just so cool uh, what God's doing uh, in and through both campuses here at the Grove Church. In addition to that, I do want to put a plug in to your ear like the video talked about for Grove Men. If you like steak and you like hanging out with dudes this Tuesday out back at Snohomish uh, Bigfoot Station there. Love to have you come and hang out with us, get to know some guys in the church and uh, connect with one another. It's going to be a really fun, fun day. One of my favorite um, memories of that baptism video when I was watching it was seeing, is Cody here today? Cody's not. Cody's one's got that big beard. And so water just coming off of his beard was awesome as he got baptized on Sunday. So we do baptisms probably about every three or four months. If you're looking to get baptized, we'll announce that you'll hear about, hear about it and you will uh, sign up then. One of the cool things that I always think about is whenever I personally get to visit a church. Now, obviously, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor going on 10 years now. I've worked for the Grove Church almost 10 years next month. And so every now and then, my wife and I will take a Sunday off, and we just get to go to church together, which is obviously different for the career that I chose. And when we do this, it's always a great time just to be refreshed by the message, by the worship. No one really knows who we are. No one's trying to, you know, talk with us or do anything like that. So we can kind of just stay hidden. And I'll never forget a few years ago, Amanda and I were, we walked into a church, big old huge lobby. And I'll, I'll never forget the sound in the room. It was like a, just a buzz. It was electric, man. People talking, people connecting, people laughing. There was a group over here praying for each other, a couple over here talking, and, and just this encouragement and this life and super encouraging, um, you know, just for us personally to see God's church alive and people excited about their faith in Jesus. I told Amanda, hey, I just want to stand here just for a few more minutes, just really enjoying, you know, watching people. Anyone ever do this? You just stare at people and people watch? It's so bad because Amanda will catch me and she'll be like, you're staring. Like, you're staring. But, but it was super encouraging. And so Amanda went and found a seat and I just kind of just looking around just and enjoying seeing people just connect and encourage each other and laugh together and pray for each other. And obviously we were new. So, you know, we went over and got the gift and all that kind of stuff, but not a lot of interaction with, with a lot of people there just because we were brand new. And I think people were talking, you know, among themselves. I then started thinking to myself, like, what if I was an unbeliever? Like, what if I wasn't a person of faith, or what if I wasn't a person that knew Jesus, or really didn't know a lot about the church, and what if I was a person just kind of looking in, in, inside of the church a little bit, and just trying to experience it for the first time through the lens of, of a person that's, you know, lost, or, or, you know, maybe, you know, skeptic, or maybe, you know, I don't know, just has been burnt by the church, and I just started thinking about, you know, what if I didn't believe in God, or I didn't believe in church? And I started thinking to myself, I wonder... I wonder if people, when they walk into the church, if they think, is, is this the answer? Like, like, is this what I've been looking for my, my entire life? Is this what I've been longing for? And here's the interesting thing is that when you're not in the group talking to someone, but you're, you're looking in on it, it can be a little awkward because you're just staring at people, right? And they're wondering why you're looking at them. 
But if we're all honest, we all want to be in the groups of three, four, five, talking and connecting and encouraging one another. Like no one wanted to be in my shoes that day, standing and observing, but not actually being a participant in what God was doing in that, in that lobby. And the question that we've come to as Christ followers is that because we love the church and we love Christ and we want our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to experience this kind of connection and relationship, the question has always been when it comes to evangelism or when it comes to reaching out to others is how do I get them from there to here? How do I live a life that's following after Christ to where I can get them from where they're at today at, you know, 1040 to getting to be sitting in this room right here? And if I'm being honest today, I think that's been the wrong question for years. Because here's what the premise of that question is. The premise of that question is something like this. If I can just get my neighbor, my coworker, my family member, my friend, if I can get them just to walk through the doors of this church or a church or any type of church that's loving Jesus and preaching Jesus, and if the pastor is really on fire and not boring, and he's funny but not dorky, right? And the coffee's hot but not scolding, and the worship set is just the right volume and the right style, and the temperature of the room is set right, and the sermon is not on money, and the sermon is not too heavy on sin, and the sermon is definitely not on serving. You love this, right? And I could set all these things up, and three different people say hi to them that they thought were really friendly, but I planted them and told them I was bringing someone new, right? If I could just set this whole stage the right way and everything could go perfectly. And the kid's nursery doesn't smell like a dirty diaper. And some creep person isn't hanging out with my kids, right? If everything goes according to plan and it all works out and there's a perfect service and a perfect pastor and everything is just so right where it needs to be, I know, I know that I will have done my job because you, pastor, will do your job, and I'll do mine. I'll get them here, but you're going to save them. You're going to reach them. And I think that's the wrong question. I think what we try to do, if we're honest, the problem with this question is we're, we're constantly trying to justify ourselves. We're constantly trying to figure out where's the line. Like, where's the line? And I don't want to get too close to the line with my faith in Christ, so where's the line? And so one of the things that we do is we try to appear better than we are. Or we try to figure out, okay, what, just tell me what you need me to do today. I'm, I'm here for 30 minutes. Tell me what you need to do so I can get on my week and get back to work and back to, just tell me what I need to do today. And the interesting thing about this, though, is that sometimes there isn't a line. In fact, sometimes in Christianity, there's a lot of gray area. For example, let me use marriage as an example just for a moment. It's pretty clear, and most of us agree, if you're married in the room, that committing adultery is a sin. Like, that's a pretty clear line in marriage. I don't think anyone in here is going to argue that that's not a sin. And so for the, for the line for a person who's married is, hey, you, you said vows, you committed to, to marrying your spouse and, and forsaking all others till death do part. That's the commitment, that's the line. So that one's pretty easy. That one's pretty black and white. But if you take greed, for example, where's the line? So some could argue that there is no line. 
Some could say, on the other side of it, say, well, if you give, you know, your tithe or you're at percentage giving and you give that 10%, well, then all 90 now is for you to do what you want, however you want. Yet the Bible teaches that everything we own, every dollar, every car, every home, every item we own, all belongs to God. So for one person, giving 10% could be very generous. For another person, it could not. Where, where, where's the line? See, the problem is we, we want to figure out where's the measuring line and how do I reach that or how do I stay clear of it? Just tell me where I need to land here. And when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to being the salt and light, the second problem that we face is that we've expected lost people to come to us when we have been called to go to them. Isn't that crazy? That we pour a lot of resources and time and energy into events and services and tell people to come and see. And yet when we look at the life of Christ, he always told them, now you go into that town. Now you go and talk to that. Now I'm coming into your house. I'm coming into where you live. I'm coming to where you belong. And there's nothing necessarily wrong about events and services and all those kind of things. But if we only stop there, if we think the line is, as long as we have great services and have great events, then they'll come. I think we've missed the problem when Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We're not off the hook if they just show up. This How to Neighbor series is not another evangelism strategy. This is not an attempt for me to try to grow a big church. This is not an attempt for, for you to feel manipulated or feel like you have to or forced to do anything other than be able to listen to the Spirit of God in your life. But this is not an evangelism strategy. In fact, what I'm going to explain today has everything to do with just seeing people made in God's image who live right next door to you and asking God, what can I do to love and serve them? Right where they're at, right where they live, right in my neighborhood, apartment, complex, wherever. Today, we're going to look to a famous passage in Scripture. It's called the Good Samaritan. It's, it's about a lawyer who was trying to justify himself with Jesus. He's trying to figure out where, where is the measuring line in order to inherit eternal life. Again, he's, he's asking the wrong question. He's asking this question. How can I do the least and still enter the kingdom of God? How can I do, just show me where the line is, I wanna do those things, tell me, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? We pick this up in Luke 10, 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Look at verse 29 here. But he, desiring to justify himself, where's the line, God? Said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray for God's word today. Lord, I thank you so much that today you're calling us and reminding us of what it really means to love you with all that we have and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, God. And I pray today more than anything, God, it wouldn't be another strategy. It wouldn't be another principle. It wouldn't be, God, just another thing we have to do, but it would be by the conviction of your Holy Spirit and by your power that we would have a heart for those that live closest to us, God. And so we thank you and praise you, God, that you are at work here. You're already here. Your presence is already alive in us. And we thank you for it. And all God's people said, amen. So we meet this lawyer, and, and this lawyer, he's not genuinely interested in being taught by Jesus. He's just trying to test Jesus. He's trying to provoke him, just like a lot of the people of Jesus' day were trying to do. But he does ask a good question. His question is, in some ways, really good. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Just on the basis of that question, that is a great question. It's like the same question the people in the early church asked. What must I do and be saved? What must I do to be saved? And what Peter said to them is repent and be baptized. We talked about this last week. That if you're not a Christ follower of yet, all you need to do is come to faith in Jesus Christ, is admit that you're a sinner saved by grace and that you're saved by the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of the resurrection. Bible says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, you shall be saved. So the question is a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Jesus goes on to say, well, what is written in the law? See, for Jesus, the Old Testament was the definite and the defining unerring standard of faith and practice. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. That's what he learned. That's what he understood. And it was like the defining rules and laws for what the people of God, the Jewish people, should follow. And he responds, a very famous verse that we've heard, that in the law, it can be summed up, the entire law and the prophets can be summed up in this very famous verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is known as the great commandment, not to be confused with the great commission to go, therefore, make all disciples, the great commandment. All the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, the three synoptic gospels, include the words heart, which define our emotions, and our will, and our deepest convictions. It also mentions the word soul. This is the immaterial part 
of a person's being. It also mentions the word mind, the the way that we reason. Matthew's gospel lacks the word strength, how a person uses the abilities and powers that he or she has. But if you look at all three of those synoptic gospels, they all have this same verse and this same idea, and it's an indication of the total devotion of one's entire being that is required. This law, this great commandment, would have been repeated twice a day by Jews, encapsulating the heart of the entire law and prophets. What Jesus was saying, what the law was saying, what he was hinging on this verse is that it all comes down to these two very simple things. That you should love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That the Lord Jesus should be the utmost, highest priority and affection of your life. Makes me think about the Old Testament. It's kind of a strange verse where at one point in the Old Testament it says that, and our God is a jealous God. I always think about that. Like That's such a weird way to describe our Heavenly Father, that he's a jealous God. It's like we always hear that he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and that he's our provider, but that he's a jealous God. And what that really is meaning and saying is that God is desperately wanting our deepest affections. He's wanting the very core and deep residue of our lives. And that's why it's not just that we love the Lord God with all of our heart, our emotions, and our will. That we love the Lord God with our our mind. Obviously, it's those things, but it's also our soul, the part of our being that continues on to eternity. It, It encompasses every part of our lives that our deepest affections and our deepest longings and our deepest desires should be to please our heavenly father and to do what's right according to scripture. That we should love him with every part of our lives. There's not a single area that's left out in this great commandment. But it doesn't stop there. And then it says to love your neighbor as yourself or to love your neighbor as well. It doesn't just stop. It's interesting. It doesn't just stop with vertical love. See, if it just stopped at vertical love where our only job in life and our only calling in life was just to vertically praise and worship God, sure, that would be, a, that would sometimes in our mind think that that's enough, but for God, that was not enough. He wanted us to love him so much vertically Him have our deepest affections and passions so much that we look to him so much that our heart breaks and realizes that, wow, God, you love me that much. I love you this much. And now, here, watch this. Now my love has gone horizontal. Now my love is to be spread out to those around me. So it doesn't just stop that, God, I love you with everything I have and all a part of my being and every deepest residue of my heart. That's a vertical, yes. But he says, but you should also love your neighbor as yourself, meaning in the same way that you love me with all that you are, I'm asking you to go and now show that love to those around you. Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But again, this lawyer's heart is not in the right place. Desiring to justify himself, the lawyer asks Jesus the wrong question. Well, who is my neighbor? 
So he's trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, well, you tell me to love you with all that I am and love the Lord God, Yahweh, with all that I am. And yeah, I can, I can understand that. I can, get, I can get around that. But now you're calling me to love my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Who is the person that you're calling me to love? And Jesus goes on and explains this story. Now, for time today, we're just going to land on these two questions here. We're going to answer these two questions. Number one, who is my neighbor, is the first question we're going to answer. And the second question throughout the series we're going to answer is, how can I be a loving neighbor? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The typical answer to Jesus' day to who is my neighbor would have been close friends and family, meaning people outside of the Jewish faith, people unclean, people unworthy, people who were ceremonially unclean and useless to society were considered enemies of the people. They were not to be neighbors to love. See, what he says when he says, who is my neighbor, he very knows who his neighbor is in his standard. The neighbors in the lawyer standard would be his close friends and family and people that he knows and has associations with and people of the same religion that he is, of the same type, of the same identity. Those are the people that he believes in his head he should be loving. But Jesus is redefining who his neighbor is by showing that of all the people, the priest, the Levite, it was the good Samaritan who was willing to help. See, culturally in Jesus' day, it would have been unthinkable for a Samaritan to help a Jew. Thus, Jesus makes the additional point that to love one's neighbor involves showing care and compassion even those with whom one would not normally have any relationship. Like always, Jesus is raising the bar. And the bar's high. In the lawyer's mind, he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to figure out where the line is. He's trying to figure out who his neighbor is, who he's supposed to love. And as long as he falls in that line with that, he's going to be good and he will inherit eternal life. But Jesus uses the, the parable and the story of the Good Samaritan to show that it's the most unlikely person in this story, the person that this lawyer would have despised, the person that this lawyer would not have loved, the person that this lawyer would not have cared about, it is that person that goes the extra mile and does the right thing in loving someone not like him. See, it's interesting because in Jesus' day, he was redefining what it meant to love those outside of the Jewish faith. It was a cultural issue. It was an ethical issue. It was, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, your heart is wicked. And Jesus was constantly combating the Pharisees and the lawyers and the tax collectors who believed that it was about everything you did on the outside. And Jesus came to redefine that, no, it's not. What happens is what's happening on the inside of your heart. And when I change the inside of your heart, it's going to cause you to love people that you really don't want to love. In Jesus' day, it was a cultural and ethical issue that he was having to change. And in our day today, he's redefining it again. 
Through this series, we read a book as a team called um, The Art of Neighboring. It's a great little book, and I'll, I'll make it available online today for you to, you can buy it on Amazon. I'll, I'll post it about it later today, but The Art of Neighboring. And in this book, I think by God's grace, they are, they, they are redefining and answering the question, who is my neighbor? And for this series and for the next few weeks, we are literally going to take the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, we're going to literally take it that this means your actual physical neighbor. That when we answer the question, who is my neighbor, we are talking about the people that live in front of you, behind you, below you, next to you, a mile down from you, whatever your neighbor may be physically. This is how Jesus is defining this for us today. And, and why, why land here? Well, because most of us live in a neighborhood, an apartment complex, a condo, or near people who are literally outside of our door. For us, it's a practical and personal issue, but it's also unthinkable. See, in Jesus' day, it was unthinkable for a Samaritan to care for a Jew or for a Jew to care for a Samaritan. It was unthinkable. It was unheard of. It was not right. It was not okay. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't nice to each other. They didn't play with each other. But it's funny, though, in 2019, when I talk about you loving your physical neighbors, you're immediately thinking, oh, God. Like, you're talking about, like, that one? Like, that, that one? Like, the one with all the cars? Like, you mean the one where the lawn is, like, at my waist? Like, that one. You mean the one that, that, okay, wow. See, it's also unthinkable to us as well. In their day, Jesus was raising the bar to say, hey, I, wanna, I want you to love people who are really not like you and don't have any association with, I want you to love them, and they're your neighbor. And in our day-to-day, it's personal and it's practical, but also convicting because in our day-to-day, we have become a very fearful society. We have become a very, very closed-in people that are worried and scared about what happens if my kids play with their kids. Like, what if they say something that I don't want them to be said? And here's what happens. We've, what we've become is instead of opening our doors, physically our doors, opening our homes, physically opening our homes, we tend because of fear and to play it safe and we're worried and we're scared, we tend to not want to associate with the people that live around us because maybe, just maybe, they are not like us or maybe, my argument to you today will be, maybe they're a lot more like you than you think. See, in Jesus' day, it was like you would be outcasted to talk to a Jew if you were a Samaritan or vice versa. You just didn't do that thing. It was unheard of. It was not popular. And yet in our day today, Unlike maybe our parents' generation or the generation prior to our parents, there was a neighborly affection and love for the people that you lived around. And yet things have changed drastically to where the idea of loving our physical neighbor actually scares the daylight out of us. You're like, I will, I'm not coming back. Like, that was fun. I'll be back in five weeks when we talk about Revelation. I'm just kidding. But like, seriously, that scares us. To think that we have to love our physical neighbors. But what if we actually did? What, what if we actually loved our physical neighbors? 
What if we actually took literally the words of Jesus here when he says to love your neighbor as yourself, what if we took it literally to mean the person behind me, the person in front of me, the person next to me on both sides? What if the problems of our society could be solved by simply opening our doors to those closest to us? What if the issues that we face in our world has more to do with the invisible walls we've put up in order to keep us safe, but not kind and not loving? See, these next few weeks, we're going to talk about the question of how can I be a loving neighbor, literally to the very ones next to me? Makes me think about some of my neighbors and neighbors in general. You know, what, what if the neighbors around us, in front of us, below us, above us, behind us, down the road, they actually have names? And what if they speak English and maybe another language as well? Like, shocker! Like, what, what if the people around us actually wake up every day and go to work and come home and shop at the same stores and their kids are on our sports team and we see them? What if they're just as normal and the same as us? What if they actually have these shortcomings and hurts and victories and failures just like us? What if they actually put their pants on one leg at a time and drink coffee like us and mow their lawn like us and yet we sit here today and we say to ourselves, man, I don't even know the names of half of my neighbors. And yet they may be more like us than we could imagine. Recently, about a year and a half ago and then recently, a year and a half ago, my back fence um, blew down in a windstorm, kind of share a, a back fence with a few different people. And my back fence blew down in, in my uh, neighborhood. And I have a neighbor behind me, her name's Regina, and her, her father lives with her. He's an older man that mows our little property back there. It's like a public park that he mows. And so my, the fence blew down, and, and, and she, uh, I went over to her house, and I said, hey, you know, Regina, you know, our, our fence just blew down. She's like, oh, you mean your fence? I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I love neighbors, okay? And so I'm like, no, no, our fence, you know, the one that shares our property line. She's like, oh, no, you mean your fence. I'm like, okay. So she's like, no, before you moved in here, the previous owner, they put that fence there. We, we never agreed to it. I'm like, oh, okay, awesome. Okay, I said, so, so I already knew where this was going. I'm like, well, you know, I, I really think we should, you know, probably repair the fence because you're up on the hill and I'm down below and we're about to do a landscaping thing and I want to start with the fence. She's like, oh yeah, go right ahead. I said, so you wouldn't be interested necessarily in like going half with me? She's like, no. I'm like, okay. Bye, Regina. I love neighbors. Like, I love it. This is awesome. I love being a light in my neighborhood. And so, so there was, you know, obviously this fence and then there was this side of the house, which was another part of our fence that needed to be replaced. And so I went over to Carrie's house, knocked on Carrie's door. Carrie, who are you? Andrew. Like, what? It's Andrew. I live, oh, you do? I've lived here for five years. Okay, but hey, Carrie, so I want to put a, a fence right here uh, to kind of replace this old one. And you, you know, I was talking to Regina and she was like, eh, but you think you'd want to, you know, go, go half with me? And she's like, you know, we just, we just can't right now. <laughs> I, love, I love this place. You know, I love it. So recently my, my neighbor right next door to me, he comes knocking on the door and and uh, he's like, hey, man, you know, my fence over here just blew down, and we, we, you know, we share this fence here. I already knew where he was going, man. I'm like, Matthew, you want, you want to go half? 
And he's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, no way, bro. No, I didn't. I was good. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been awesome? <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. You know, just can't right now. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, man, totally. We'll, we'll go half on, on this side of the fence that we share. And I, just, I know it's such a simple example. That's just to me being a good neighbor. Like, that, like I don't expect that Matthew's going to walk through these doors anytime soon. I mean, yeah, I pray for him. I pray for his family. I would love for him to. But I'm not, I'm not trying to reach him for Christ right in that moment by sharing a fence. I'm just trying to be a good neighbor to a person that I know that God loves and cares about and sees him as a son of God. And yet what happens for us is that for whatever reason, for fear, for anxiety, for you know, worrying that they're, they're different or they're not like us or they're worldly or they're anti this or they don't vote my party or whatever, we tend to think that there's zero common ground. And yet what Jesus would remind you and I today is that there is a lot of common ground. Let's just start with this. Do they have a name? Common ground number one. You both have names. Woo! Do they drive a car? Common ground two. Do they ever do oil changes? Great. Talk about the car. Like there's just these common things that we can experience with people and show the love of Christ right where we live. And yet for whatever reason, we tend to shrink back. You know, what, what if, what if the neighbors that are in front of us, behind us, below us, next to us, what, what, what if they're just looking for the same thing you and I are looking for? They're, they're just looking to love and to be loved. That's it. And so in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about, man, how can I be a loving neighbor to my physical neighbors that live right by me? Let me pray for you today. Lord Jesus, we do. We just come before you today. Recognizing, God, that, yeah, you've called us to a workplace. You've called us to a church. You've called us, God, also, though, to a community. Whether it's an apartment or a, a duplex, whether it's a neighborhood or it's homes far apart on acreage, God, you've called us to love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I pray today, God, that when we come out of a series like this and a sermon like this, I pray our hearts would grow to saying, okay, Lord, what can I do for those closest to me? How can I love people right where they're at, right for just on the human level, God, that they are made in your image, they have your fingerprint, they are your daughter or your son, and they are loved by you. And so, God, I pray right now you would grow our hearts for where we live. I pray, God, there's some in here that say, man, I was about to move, but no, I need to stay where I am because where God has called me to be, He's called me to be a light to those around me. So I pray, God, you would use us in the coming weeks to be your very presence right where we live. In your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.